Hi, and welcome to CISO Talk. I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Newfield. Matt, good to be CISO talking again together. Mitch, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It is. Same back to you. And we have some of our favorite people to talk to, folks that we've known a, a good while. I won't say how long, but it's been a, it's been a while that we've known each other um, over a few, a few job changes, I think. Um, our topic today is, so you've been breached. You know what? <laughs> I think we're in the era of if we haven't already been breached, most likely all of us have dealt with breaches already, right? We've been around long enough that organizations are getting breached. It is going to happen. It's not a kind of let's hope we don't get breached. We are going to get breached at certain points. And we'll talk about what that means. Um, and so what do we do? What's our response? Is that sort of the afterthought? No. How well How do well do we need to be prepared? How do we be prepared? What do we prepare, be prepared for? So those are some of the topics that we're going to talk about today on CISO Talk. So Let's get to our conversation. Uh, let's start by uh, introducing our illustrious panel. Um, JJ, if you would start, um, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, and and uh, you get to pick who either Richard or Julian is next. <laughs> oh, I love having power. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so I'm Jennifer Manella. Um, recently switched gears and have a new company called Vision Security, um, where I sit in the middle between uh, network and security teams and um, kind of help organizations work through what their uh, enterprise security architecture should like, look like and then work out game plans for implementing it with uh, with the various teams. Oh, mm, let's see. Hollywood Squares here. I'm going to go to Richard next. Oh, thank you, Jennifer. Um, so I'm Richard Steen and I'm a industry analyst and I write books about the cybersecurity industry. Excellent. And Jay and Julian. Julian Waits and like uh, JJ, I recently changed gears as well. Uh, this week, I joined Rapid7 as an SVP and um, executive in residence. And what that means is, is I'm about to start doing some new exciting things for Rapid7, uh, many of which around the topic that we're speaking about today. Congratulations to you and congratulations to JJ on your new ventures. It is, this is Hollywood Squares. You know, Matt, maybe if you want to say a little bit more about our topic here and, and you can kick things off with, with the team. I appreciate that. I think this is a very powerful conversation to have because a lot of people, you know, you talk about it's not a win, it's not an if, it's a win. You talk about you know, these bad things have happened. And a lot of people think, okay, let me do some documentation. I'll put some extra controls in place. And they really don't know what these things actually mean. When I say breach, what does it mean? You know, when, when I get an alert that, you know, we'll just use something as simple as a rating system and tooling with your background, it's, it comes in as a severity 10, you know, the top severity. Okay. Now what do I do? And for a lot of people, it's, very confusing. It can be very scary. They they don't know. And, you know, we were talking before this session. We have a lot of musicians with us today from aspiring acoustic guitarists uh, to, to jazz flutists to jazz saxophonists. And, you know, one of the things we're talking about is you don't wait until you're on stage getting ready to play to figure out how to play that instrument. So, what we try to do here in CISO Talks is help people get prepared, leave them with those golden nuggets so that they can start practicing. They can, they can be prepared for events like breaches. And I would love to get your all's thoughts about, do you think the industry is ready? Do you think people are actually prepared for these things? If so, why? And if not, what can they do about it? 
Julian, let's start with you, given your background. I mean, you come prior, you came from an organization that really focused on SIM technologies. Now you're in an organization really focused on vulnerabilities and vulnerability management. You know, what do you think about this topic and, and about the industry as a whole? Well, so one, I agree with, with, with what you talked about, right? My opinion is, 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 you know, breaches are inevitable. And, and you asked something before we started, which was how you define a breach because everybody defines it differently. Uh, I think we all live in a state of compromise, meaning there's some level of compromise in every network uh, because let's face it, it starts with us. People are the weakest link. So then the issue becomes, what's the difference between a compromise and a breach? And to me, we, if you use the word breach, it means it's something that you have to disclose. Uh, it's a disclosable event that occurs. And, uh, and the key thing is, is to make sure that you have a plan, a playbook, before it occurs. While you may not know the full nature of the breach, you certainly better stand, understand the nature of how you're going to respond. Because in many cases, and uh, I think it was uh, Mitch who said this earlier, the response is more important than the breach itself. And even though we, we overplay the whole uh, target incident, it, it's, it's actually key to it. I mean, you had an entire management team to lose their job, not because they were breached. That's understood. It's, it's going to happen. But it was because when they first communicated the breach, well, let's see. First, it was every store had been compromised at the POS level and somebody physically went in. Oh, I'm sorry. That really wasn't it. What it really was is this core database where we weren't using the right type of encryption. Oh, and we forgot to tell you these other things too. So at least my opinion is, is that's what really destroyed the whole thing. It wasn't the breach. It was the response. And crisis management is key to dealing with cyber breaches. I'll, I'll pass the, the baton at this point. <laughs> So I, I, I want to feed off this a little bit because I agree, you know, I, I have a, a saying that I give out a lot to people and it, it generally is met with a lot of eyebrow raising, which is prevention is dead, long live response, right? Yep. It, it is to your point, you can go back to Target, but you could also go back to a very popular hotel chain that, you know, had a major incident and they're still reeling from it. And yet, my opinion, one of the largest breach situations that's happened in, in recent history happened to a very large shipping organization in Europe. You know, they lost every system but a couple within a day, all right. ransomed, all wiped, right? It was a wiper virus, not ransom with, um, uh, with non-Petia or not Petia, and none of them lost their jobs. It, their response was so good and so well rehearsed and practiced that they were able to keep uh, – um, their roles and keep the public perception of their organization at a high level, the investor perception and their client perception. And then you also raised another one I think is going to be important for this conversation, and it's about crisis management teams and, you know, the ability to, one, have one, and to practice. I mean, again, practice, practice, practice. And, you know, I don't know the details of Target and that organization and internally what happened, but if they had practiced with the right people, with the right third parties, their response may have been a lot different and much better coordinated and synced. I think so. I agree. So, JJ, you talk a lot in, in given your role of bringing these organizations together. A lot of times what I hear from security groups inside of companies is 
what are we supposed to do about it, right? We we can practice all we want, but it's the networking team's problem or the IT team's problem or the, the server team didn't tell us. They're not feeding us logs. They're not doing what we need. So, you know, I washed my hands of it. it you know, what do you think is some of the major issues here? And am I even correct? Are a lot of people not there anymore? Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, communication, not just externally and having a plan, which we can probably circle back to a little bit later, but internally, I mean, one of, one of the reasons I got into what I'm doing now is having done, you know, kind of complex projects like network access control and things that involved, you know, kind of cross-functional groups or, or entire different organizational structures in a, in an or, in a company um, was I realized it's just like, they don't communicate and I'm generalizing here. There's obviously exceptions, but on, on the whole, they don't communicate or they don't communicate well, or they don't communicate with a lot of trust. And so, you know, I, I found it's interesting working with, you know, everything from fortune rated companies, you know, down, down to relatively small organizations, kind of mid-market, obviously, you know, the, the, the publicly traded companies and the highly regulated companies have very mature, um, you know, security structures and policies and plans. And there's this weird, like steep drop off after that, where it just kind of plummets into like this hole of, of nothingness in terms of planning. And it's, it's challenging for me because, you know, I get solved it brought in when people are panicking, Oh, we're afraid of ransomware. Oh, we're afraid of this. We're afraid of that. Um, and a lot of my work is in highly regulated industries. So healthcare, financial manufacturing, um, utilities, uh, and they're just throwing, you know, Oh, Oh, um, help us, you know, we need to buy these products or do these things. And I'm kind of going, well, let's back up. Um, you know, do, do you have defi- a defined risk model? Do you have this? Do you have that? Have you put together an incident response plan? So instead of, you know, all, instead of throwing all the money into these controls and these products that may or may not actually solve a problem just out of fear, they're not stepping back and putting a plan together up front, which is, you know, concerning, I, I think for me and, and everybody else, but they don't know where to start. And that's a communication thing. That's a trust thing. And then that's just having, you know, some trusted advisor, possibly outside of the organization, but in the absence of a mature and the other problem is, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw this out there, guys. So somebody's, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but there's really no metric for defining a a CISO and what a CISO should be able to do. And so, you know, I've worked with CISOs at organizations that, you know, three months prior, they were managing web development or they were managing the networking team, or they were in charge of some application thing, and they got shoved into a role, um, and they don't even understand what they need to do to put together a plan like this. And so th- there's just like this culmination of uh, lack of communication and planning internally that gets us into this spot, I think. You know, I, I don't mind saying that it's it could be a good and a bad thing. There are not a lot of CISOs with a, a lot of experience out there. You are correct. And, you know, there's there's myriad of types of those that, you know, were the firewall manager or, like you said, you know, the web development manager that, you know, someone said, I heard you say security once, therefore you're the right person, you know, guy or gal. And uh, good luck with you. You better not have a problem, which always leads to the three letters joke, which we won't get into here but I think you also hit on something, Richard, I know is big with you and in, in some of your writings, but it's that trust component. And, and you are correct. There is a lot of distrust. You know, you think about distrust between security and operations, IT, but also with internal audit, legal, you know, you, you can think of compliance and ethics inside of organizations and having those trust bridges is going to be 
absolutely important. Uh, Richard, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, whenever I see a trust bridge, or I call usually I call them trust in, interstices, which I can't even spell, um, because it's it's a gap in your organizational model that says, well, that person would never do that because you know we have an employment contract and they would miss their paycheck if they did something like that. Um, and those are very important to look at. And if you've got that right, if if audit trusts the security team to be actually keeping all the logs without ever checking, they've got a big problem, right? Because that's something's going to come up and there'll be audits problem when it does. Um, but, and while I'm contradicting you, Matt, um, I will go to my grave defending the fact that prevention is better than response. Um, <laughs> but for the purpose of, of our discussion, uh, you got to have response too, right? Because that's what you learn from. And your original question was, you know, how well are organizations doing response? And I'd say there are thousands of organizations that are great at incident response because they've had to live through it. And they said, wow, I never want to do that again. Let's build a plan from what we just learned, uh, demonstrate to our stakeholders, you know, whatever the board that this will never happen again in the same haphazard way and we're going to start reporting on our incident response so it's like and no matter how many of us try and do security awareness and tell people what they should be doing they just don't learn until they've been breached so breaches kind of do us a favor because the breaches we have now are nowhere near as bad as the breaches we're going to have five years from now right so we have to get ready for wood salt over my shoulder (laughs) my favorite the, I guess, thought exercise to tell people is, and I wrote this up after the OPM breach, because um, it was just ridiculous that a huge government agency, you know, had been breached and attacked multiple times from nation state actors. And all they did was put in budget for one and a half million dollars to improve security next year, and then did nothing on top of that. Right. Didn't look for where their data was didn't check to see what the access controls were or OSs that it was on. It was probably a CDC supercomputer in a big data center. Did nothing. and But we all saw the repercussions for the CIO, and I don't think they had a CISO. Um, and, you know, she was hauled in front of Congress, and it just looked miserable experience for her. And so I tell heads of agencies, right, who are ultimately responsible for their data security, though they don't take that. Nobody's ever told them they're responsible for it. Um, Nobody's even told them to hire a CISO to take responsibility for that. But take a lunch break, go out onto the mall, sit on a park branch, and imagine that somebody just came to you and said, all of our data has been stolen by China. What do you do? And then think about that for a full hour, then go back to the office and call a bunch of people and figure out a plan to solve that problem. And that's the beginning of your incident response. That's interesting. I'm gonna. By the way, I love the disagreements. So we're gonna have you two go to your corners, you know, uh, get the cut people ready to go, and we'll bring you back out, and we'll have okay. that. So, so one of the things I wanted to bring up because I think that ties, there's a thread here of there's the tools and the processes and things that we put in place. There's the flow of practice, you know, getting building up the memory muscle of the organization. I think the thing that we discount. Um, that you are leading to, Matt, and I know, I know Richard's written about. It's this. It's the trust in the organization. Every management chain loves bad news. 
Uh, yeah, being sarcastic, of course. Yep. And so what is, what is breach, right? It's not, it's not going to be good news. And I think part of that, that muscle memory is exercising that in the organization. So when China steals all of our data, I, I'm not going to debate for an hour, whether I'm call my boss or call the board member or call whoever it's this, you know, they know this is coming. It's just a matter of when, not something that bad, hopefully not. But, but my point is, is I think a lot of us as CISOs are unprepared for getting the organization comfortable with talking about this stuff and not being a, you know, every time it comes up as a conversation, whether it happened or not, I'm going to lose my job kind of thing. Well, and, and let's be honest, you know, I've worked at many organizations with the security role and, I, and I've heard from more than one executive when I call, they pick up and go, am I about to have a bad day? And I'm like, wow, I was calling to say good morning. And I'm like, you don't call to say good morning. You call with bad. Talk about the game last night. Come on. <laughs> to your point, it's building out that trust and relationship and muscle memory again is important. And I, I feel I'm going to, I'm going to steal Richard. I agree with you. It, I'm not saying just so we're all clear not to put in protections. That's silly. My point is these companies that have had major incidents all had them in play. And to Julian's original point, if you don't practice the response side of it, you can spend millions, if not billions of dollars to prevent, and it will not protect you if you do not work the other side of it as well. Yeah. Just, just, a, just a response to what happens. If, if it, one, if it's, if it's, if it's, if you're transparent and you're transparently wrong, meaning you don't really understand what happened and you communicate that, that's a file that, that brings liability to an organization. Uh, now, I will disagree, with, I guess, with both of you. And I work on the protection side. Let's face it, cyber hygiene is important. You have to do it. If protection technologies really worked, we wouldn't have breaches for what, for what many vendors promise. So the assumption needs to be that something's going to fail somewhere and I have to respond to it. I, I, I mean... Yeah, it's it's a given because even if you're perfect at patch management, you're you don't have all the zero days covered. It's almost like at our best, we're we're forty nine percent of an even game, right? They always have the advantage. You have to kind of assume that whether you ever get forty nine. Yeah, but I'm perfect at patch, but then you know somebody calls an employee and gets information that the employee shouldn't have given them because I wasn't perfect at training my employees on how to respond to that, or. Uh, I mean, I have a breach. The breach just occurred. A news reporter is calling in to rank and file employees who have some concept that there's a breach that occurred. They decide to have a conversation with the reporter and they don't know what they're talking about, which yet again opens me up to more liability. That's all a part of a response plan. If management teams, and especially in technology companies, after what happened with SolarWinds and, 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 and uh, the whole Starburst thing, if you as a technology company aren't sitting down as a management team working through, I mean, not canned answers that don't do any good, but what, what real cyber response and incident response means from a crisis perspective, you set yourself up to potentially just be out of business because if you can't first instill confidence, everything else is lost. I think JJ brings up something I want to go back to, and you said it in a really insightful way, JJ, that highly regulated public companies, right? They have to, they have to do things. They have to, they have to have their incident response, their, their technology, their ducks in a row. It's that kind of moving into the private sector, um, non-public companies that you see the big drop off. How do we help people 
in that situation, I, I often think that medium-sized businesses are the greatest challenge because they have all the same requirements of many large enterprises, but not the experience, the money, or the time to do anything about it. Yeah, I think, well, and it's uh, it's been crazy because I'm going to caveat what I'm about to answer with. So I, so in one of, one of my utilities clients, I work with them through a lot of growth, mergers and acquisitions, going public, and then going back private again. Um, and so sitting in that, you know, security architecture position between all of them and and watching that progression happen, um, it's, and then, and then kind of rolling back, I think it was obvious that, um, a lot of organizations, if they're not forced to, because in my thinking is, okay, you, you got to a maturity level because you're forced to, there's benefit in this type of, you know, oversight and strict change management and processes and policies, um, I didn't necessarily expect them to roll back off of that as heavily as they did. But the truth is, is that in those organizations, you know, I think everybody's just trying to do what they can, especially in IT. It's, it's, you know, they're keeping the wheels on and and trying to keep the car moving and they're always changing tires while we're going 200 miles an hour. It's always a fire drill. It's, it's always this, it's not like the IT team or networking or even network security people are sitting around going, Oh, how could I make this better? Or how can I streamline this? They don't have time to do that. They're, they're like, you know, not sleeping half the time. So, you know, it's been challenging because for me, I always like kind of like to dig back into what, it, what is that underlying issue? Um, and I, I definitely think that we have um, challenges in organizations not investing in their, in their people in terms of training and education, um, not investing enough in, in the types of things that let people understand how to, how to streamline better or how to use technology better for the organization. Um, and so they're just on this hamster wheel. And I think as long as people are on a hamster wheel and there's no push from the top, you know, to, to push them into something that's uncomfortable and they don't feel like they have time for that, that that's not going to change. So for those mid-sized organizations, you know, I always kind of like to make sure they have, you know, resources, um, you know, that can guide them through that, you know, risk management process. Because the other thing is, is, you know, you get, you get some, you know, security compliance risk person freaking out about the ransomware or something else. And then telling the IT teams, implement this, implement this, implement this, implement this. And there's, there's nothing measurable there. So it's just this panic, panic buying, and they're spending, you know, millions sometimes when there, and there's no way to demonstrate that that's helping the organization when, you know, pretty much in any organization, but especially, you know, midsize up, it's, there's, we have processes for that. We just have to get those people connected with those processes. But in these organizations, they're just, they don't, if you, if a lot of times you walk in and you ask, you know, the leadership, uh, what their security strategy is or what their security statement is or what their risk management, you know, it's, oh, well, we're going to hire somebody to look at the firewall logs. That's they. So we need to educate them basically and get them into thinking that way. Or we hired another company to do it. And I think this ties to what all of you on this panel are saying as well. If you don't have the right person or the right partnership in play, this is not easy. This isn't as simple as I have a firewall. I have I have a Bobby or Susie who is sitting under the IT team and uh, they review the logs. Um, and I have a contract or retainer with company whomever should I have a problem. And we do an annual training exercise for our employees. It's much, much more 
to it than just those bare bone basics. And you really hit, you know, again, Richard, you've written about this. Julie and I've talked about it and Mitch and team. But, you know, there's a difference between compliance security and real security. Um, you know, it, did you check a box hoping that, you know, when that bad thing happened, I did the stuff that this framework said to do and leave me alone as compared to really building something out. And it can be hard. And we've had episodes about this as well. Com- explaining to non-cyber, non-technical executives why they should spend money on something that is very difficult to build an ROI around. It, it's That's a challenge if you're speaking an, another language to them, because I don't know how to do a real ROI. If we didn't have a breach in the last year, was it because we were lucky? I spent the right amount of money or did I spend too much money? I, and if I'm a an old school financial board member, you're going to have a very difficult time explaining that to me. Right. If, right? I mean, Julian, you live this world. That is a that is a hard thing to explain. And, you know, really, again, stepping back to, so what do we tell people to do here, right? They, there are not enough real CISOs out there. And a lot of companies can't, one, afford them nor attract them. Um, if you're a hardware company trying to get someone to go between, you know, a Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 organization or a smaller midsize, can be very difficult, right? Comp's different. Um, control is different and career trajectory is different uh, for people in the cyber executive world. So what are people supposed to do here? I guess I'll take that first. So, so one, I think there is a wealth of resources in the industry, pay for resources that can help you with this because um, I think where JJ is going and what you just lean to is I find in the mid market, most systems are definitely more technical than they are uh, business oriented, which 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 is in and of itself is a huge gap, right? Because the, the to answer your question about ROI, from my perspective, it's not about ROI. I think about it more in the terms of of, uh, of insurance, or you know, in this case, think about cyber insurance. What's it going to cost me if I can't get to my business? If if everything's gone and somebody's wiped out all my systems. What does it cost us to be in business to get past that? And so when, it, when I think about it from that perspective, even if I'm a smaller business, I mean, I'll mention some, you know, Mandian has a huge pack practice around this. So there's, there's a bunch of companies that have large services offerings. All of the, the I don't know if it's the big four, big five, whatever it is these days, EY, Deloitte, they all have practices around this. And there are other smaller firms that do it, but get educated on it. Uh, make it a part of your culture to really deal with incident response, educate end users, starts at the top and goes all the way through the bottom. While every end user may not understand the full ramifications of an incident, they certainly can understand what their part in it should be and who they shouldn't be talking to versus who they should talk to. And if something happens, who to communicate it to. But I think it starts with education and deal with the technology components of it secondarily. So I I want to throw something in because I know uh, Richard and JJ are going to... expand on this and Mitch as well, but you you said something that's very important and I want to make sure the audience really hones in on because I think it's a key thing. And it's not just the security team. You were talking about all levels of an organization. So if you're practicing, a lot of people think that for me, for example, being a CISO, if I turn around and just practice with my team, I'm good to go. That's that's 
objectively wrong, right? Yeah. It's it's got to be at all levels. Where's your where's your CEO, right? And and again, it goes to trust. You need to bring them in, set the groundwork to make sure that your CEO knows uh, testing of incident response plans is not about passing. If you pass an incident response tabletop exercise or live fire exercise, you're doing it wrong. Here's yeah, something, something went wrong. Come <laughs> on now, we're not doing this with crayons. It's supposed to be painful for everybody, including the point we did a, a joke when I first got here. We had recorded a GNN newscast. In the middle of it, we stopped, hit play on a screen. There was a newscast. That we had created. Now it had watermarking all over it because I don't know how to get out there. But <laughs> but you're trying to get that effect so people understand in the moment, even though you know this isn't real right now, it can make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Um, and you better hope you have the right deodorant on because it's, Richard, I know you're dying to jump in. I see uh, it. I can tell it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I really want to riff off of what Julian said because. Yes, there are incident response firms you can reach out to. And if you have a major, major problem, then you're going to have to call Mandiant, right? Yeah. Mandiant, one of the big uh, defense contractors, and they are going to give you a number that will make the hair on your on your back stand up, and you're going to pay it, right? No matter what. So include that in your incident response planning is if we don't do this and know what we're going to do, we're going to have to write a check for a couple billion dollars just to have these guys come in on the weekend. So I've been, I've been talking to incident response firms recently. They don't show up on my radar at all. They don't market. They don't sell because they've got more business than they know what to do with. There's one in Madison, Wisconsin, that's going to close 1200 incidents this year. And if you can get, 20 minutes of their time, I would quiz them on what they do with their customers who are all ransomware victims. And they just follow, you know, they've got a fr- their forensics expert. So they go in there and figure out what happened. And then they, you know, clean up all the machines and they deploy an off-the-shelf EDR product to every single device. And, and that usually does it. it, makes the the insurance, cyber insurance provider happy. Well, if you're not using CrowdStrike, uh, Sentinel-1, um, Carbon Black or something today, you've got a problem. Maybe you should do what the incident response people are going to have you do anyway. So they're, they're going to use right. it as a forensics tool. You should be using it as a defensive tool. Well, and that's exactly, that's that goes to the practicing because, again, you would go through and use those lessons learned. Julian, you brought it up, and, and Jen, JJ brought it up. Rich, you brought it up. Yep. Well, bring it back to the beginning. This is a constant evolution because why wait to spend the money later, right? And there's a lot of there's cyber reason and CrowdStrike and I mean, there's tons of them out there depending on your needs and your market. But if that's just one tool, that's great. You should implement it first. But I, I want to be careful here. Putting a tool in. Now, does it make you non-susceptible to those problems in the future? There's a lot more to it, how you configure it, how you implement it, how you monitor it, but blah, 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 blah. So I just yeah. want to be careful there. Um, but it's to your point, let's use these lessons learned. And if you build those contracts in with one of those firms, and the only time you ever speak to them is when you have a major problem, again, you're doing it wrong. That's the problem. Yep. Right. I mean, it, and this is we are not a check the box exercise. You you can't be. And, you know, you bring up cyber insurance. You know, you, you should 
a lot of people need to step back. They may not even have cyber insurance or may not be cyber insurable or can afford it. Um, so that makes it even worse because you don't have those protections in place that, you know, they can help you with the funds and, you know, getting back up on your feet. Now you have to do it by yourself. And the, the joke we always give is we build houses, you know, with when JJ talks about architecture and networking, you know, you're building this beautiful house. And waiting till you have a major incident to get security in place is like building the house and going, we're done. Now let's wire up the walls with some electricity. Or you should install fire alarms. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, it's just like when, uh, now I don't have kids, but when I was a kid, my parents did this, which was if there's a fire, right? Or if this happens, or if that happens, here's what you do and and the order you do it in and, and how you do it. And it might be different if you're upstairs or downstairs, right? Uh, and it's kind of the same thing. Um, but I think all of this, so kind of going back to something Julian said, and then bringing in something Richard said back to Matt, your original question, I think it's all related is the definition of event compromise, incident breach, whatever, because how do you know, you know, Julian, when to educate your, your users, you know, I mean, you, you need to educate your users ahead of time is based on what that definition is and what those risks are. Um, same thing with engaging, you know, third parties for stuff. You have to have that predefined. If if this happens, and maybe there's you know something that needs to be looked at. This is the type of person, internal team, third party, whatever we need to bring in to do that. Or if this happens, here here's the numbers at the various agencies we need to call slash you know whoever's our on our IR retainer. Um, right. But I think all, all of that warrants some type of, you know, definition. So I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about the, how, how we label those things. Well, to me, it's just the levels of severity, right? If it's, if it's, if it's something internal, it's, it's not something we have to disclose, but we certainly need to make sure this never happens again. Here's the exercise we go through. If, if, if we discover that it is something disclosable, then it becomes a whole different event that you go through. And there's, and, and, it's not like you call either or it's really a layered approach. Like no matter what, if you have a breach, we already know we got to call our incident response firm and we need to do this. And they're going to help us determine how to go to the next step. And if it's, if it's disclosable and, and, and depending on the nature of it, there might even be three letter agencies you have to call in the, in the process of doing it. And, and I have customers who've done that. Sure. <laughs> FBI gets a call. We have, we have definition problems, but they're nothing like if you talk to somebody from a, the policy side. Um, it, Thomas Ridd on Twitter created a, a huge debate because he told us to stop calling them cyber attacks. And I remember basically, that. <laughs> yeah, an attack had to cause physical damage or it wasn't an attack. So therefore, nothing's a cyber attack except for Stuxnet. And it's like, no, no. You know, this, we're in a new world, right? You know, you steal one bit from me. I've succumbed to a cyber attack. Well, we're coming up on our time here. I, I feel like we should uh, have an after the show show on uh, HBO <laughs> for everybody. Um, how about let's let's circle back to where we started. And if you can all think about um, if you had to summarize or sum up one kind of parting thought of, you know, you've been breached. Now what? Um, there are a lot of things that we've talked about. If you were going to emphasize an area of, of the next step to take, what would that be? Um, so Richard, you were just talking, so I'll save yeah, you yeah. for last. Do you want to so, go? Are you ready? I, okay, go. I'm ready. I was, I was sparked 
by, you know, the idea of lessons learned, right? Which is a fantastic way to build better processes, right? You look at what happened, figure out how to avoid the pitfalls the next time. You can short circuit that by researching lessons learned from other people. So you can meet your, at your ISAC and you can talk to people directly. Uh, I once proposed an organizational chart for a cyber defense team and I had a slot in there for somebody whose full-time job was to research the types of incidents that, you know, and how they relate to your organization and then publish that information internally. So you'd say, look at that, you know, we're at, at TJ Maxx and Lowe's just got attacked by a guy in the parking lot of the Pringles can, we should check our Wi-Fi security. And that would have been really helpful for TJ Maxx who got hit by the exact same thing two and a half years later. Uh, and, you know, or power utilities right now, they're just completely ignoring what happened in Ukraine. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, it wasn't so bad. They just went down for a few days. Well, of course, in Ukraine, they had physical systems to back to fall back on. Here in the U.S., we don't have as many of those. So it's something that we should pay attention to. Awesome. JJ, how about you? Yeah, I think I think just having a plan is important. And, you know, for an organization that doesn't have one, they need to, even if they can't hire somebody full-time or a team full-time, they need to put an ad hoc you know, team together, like a little task force across different groups who are willing um, and, and go learn new stuff and educate and participate in some groups. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of in team Matt, as far as the prevent and detect thing. I mean, I, I think pre- prevent preventative controls are, are kind of like, obviously you're going to have that. Um, but I think speaking on behalf of, of all of us, uh, I don't, I, I think if you have the right handful of people together and it doesn't take many, it doesn't matter what control you have, we'll get through it. And so therefore the detection response is really critical because how can you respond to something that you don't even know happened, which is what has been happening for years where you, you've had malicious actors in an environment for months, years, plural sometimes. Um, so I think, you know, at getting educated and staying up up to speed on things because, you know, like with ransomware before it was just, they were encrypting. Now they're actually exfiltrating data and, 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 you know, extorting organizations, which is not only a different business model, but it's a different, I mean, Julian, you know, that's a different uh, model in terms of legal liability. Right. I mean, I don't work in that space, but you, you guys, I'm sure have a whole other set of stuff you have to do if data left the network versus being encrypted in, in, in place. So yeah. So educate yourself, I guess, is my, my takeaway there. Well, if we were in the band, I'd, I'd give the uh, saxophone solo nod to Julian. So, Julian, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so I'll be a little, uh, I'll pander a little bit here. So, I think uh, depending on one, the maturity organization and the size of the organization. If you have all the resources, you're a big enterprise. Then it's the plan that comes before the breach. I'd love to tell you about what to do after it happens but you really need to start that process now. Otherwise it's already too late. Mid-market players, company I work for Rapid7, we have a huge managed detection and response program that we provide, especially if you're looking at hybrid socks, which is an area I'm gonna be very much involved with. We'd love to have a discussion about you and I think it's very important. Yes. Bring bring it home on that. (laughs) Yeah, so look, I think across the board, we've got this, but here are the big key things that I make recommendations out. One, first, you're not alone. Everybody out there, we're all in this together. We're all on the same side of this 
fight, whether it's an attack or not an attack, is is up for debate. And there's that Twitter thread is way too long for someone like me to bother reading. But, you know, it's it we're all on the same side. So get help. Join an ISAC. Find a partner. Find a vendor that does what you're looking for. Don't just buy a product. Buy a service. Buy thoughts. Buy Julian's mind. Right. That's what you're really looking for. If you hired JJ and her organization, you're not buying the product. You need her. And it's to help you learn. Practice, practice, practice. I say practice a tabletop before even writing a policy or a procedure. Yeah. Because. If you practice the outcome, if you do it correctly, will drive what your procedure should look like. And don't practice alone. Bring in other people. And, you know, you all brought it up. You know, there are plenty of other organizations that have been through this. I, on a personal level, have helped other organizations with some of their IR. I have no problem doing it. I've fortunately or unfortunately been through enough of these in my career, um, especially considering I was a consultant for a very long time that I've seen a lot. So let me help you because it makes me smarter. I learn it makes you smarter um, and it helps organizations protect themselves in the long term. So practice, practice, practice. And trust is important, but I I feel like it's it's just really important to bring out because we all talked about a little bit here and some a little more than others. If you just trust your employees, you're doing it wrong. Right. We, you know, we always say people love to clicky, clicky, clicky. They like to be helpful. People like clicking links. They like to respond. They like to do things. But you have to go in knowing that the human is really going to be one of your biggest, weakest links. And how can you help? Yeah. Well, to that point, um, to help me help you, one of the reasons I think we all do this is because we believe in what we do when we believe in helping each other. It's one of the reasons why we do CISO Talk and, and Matt, you know, as a chief security infrastructure officer, tons of experience. I get go around, go around the, to everyone and all the experience that you offer. We're not here to pitch our companies or ourselves or our product. We're here to share with each other. So encourage everybody to take advantage of all the resources you can get through the great team of media ops. Now I'm pitching that company, but the, the great team there. So take it, take it back home the other way. Um, but there, there is just such a wealth of good information. And I think this is uh, the pinnacle of that. So thanks to all of you, JJ, Julian, Richard, and of course, Matt, my, uh, my excellent partner in this. So thanks to all of you for joining us today. And seriously, we'd love to have you reach out to us. Um, you can reach uh, Matt or I easily on one of the links on the, um, on the CISO Talk episodes. There's also LinkedIn. We're happy to connect you with folks in our network here, here and beyond. So have a great day. And thank you for joining us on CISO Talk. Thanks, man. Thank you.